The Neverland Podcast, Episode 27. Welcome to Neverland. Take a start of the right straight until morning. Welcome once again to the Neverland Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy, as always. And once again, I'll remind you that now is the time to pull out your pixie, sprinkle a little bit of that pixie dust around, and fly off with me to Neverland. A reminder here at the top of the show that you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher, and I do appreciate you going to write up a review on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps a few more people to find us. Email us podcast at neverlandpodcast.com find us on twitter at neverlandpcast also find us on facebook where it is of course facebook.com slash neverlandpodcast well without further ado let's get started with a little bit of nerd news mark hamill has been making appearances at star wars weekends in disney's hollywood studios you can find video of his appearance at InsideTheMagic.net. Uh, we asked, by, he was asked by a fan over Twitter to have a conversation between the Joker and Luke Skywalker with hilarious results. Uh, he also reminds people not to share leaked fo- set photos from the new Star Wars films. Um, I would hopefully have maybe been able to share the audio with you from that, but since InsideTheMagic.net, not only does he do videos, but he also has his own podcast. I figure he is sharing it, and it is his video that he managed to take, so uh, I will not have it for you here. Uh, I might borrow from his YouTube channel, perhaps, uh, and put it on the website. I haven't decided yet, so go check out NeverlandPodcast.com and see if uh, the video is there. Other than that, you can find it on InsideTheMagic.net, where it originated. And also check out his YouTube channel for the complete 40 minute conversation that they had with Mark Hamill. It was very good. Um, moving on, though. Bill Watterson, legendary creator of the classic comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, has been working with Stephen Pastis, creator of Pearls Before Swine. The collaboration can be seen last Wednesday through Friday as he drew the artwork created by the correct character Lib, or Libby. Uh, Watterson retired Calvin and Hobbes 20 years ago. Uh, you can find this on the internet. Uh, Basically, if you did a search for uh, for comic strips and everything, there's a lot of websites that you know. Even the the official sites, is like Go Comics and things like that. Uh, I did get a chance to go read those. They are hilarious. It's a lot of fun. Uh, yes, I enjoy Pearls Before Swine anyway, and also I'm a fan of Calvin and Hobbes, so it was fun to see him back again. Anyways, uh, Peyton Reed has been confirmed to direct Marvel's Ant Man. Adam McKay is set to contribute to the film's script, and so I wonder how many changes to the script he is making based on that Edgar Wright having written part of the script. Edgar Wright, as you remember, was the director that was recently let go for not quite uh, having the same vision as as the uh, creators of the character, or or Kevin Feige, or something like that. Um, McKay was at one point set to work on the Fantastic Four, and has previously worked on Yes Man, The Breakup, and Bring It On. Um, and this doesn't give me confidence in his changes to the script. Uh, can't say, I mean, Yes Man was okay. I didn't see either of the other two, but Bring It On doesn't look like the type of movie that bodes well for somebody who's going to work on Ant-Man. So I don't know. It, it could be better than I'm thinking, but that, I know that doesn't make me think, oh, hey, you know, I, I will like his changes. But uh, the original script from, you know, how it was written is probably still good. We'll, we'll just see how it turns out. 
we'll just keep an eye on it. I, I don't really think they've started filming that thing yet. So, yeah, we'll just keep going. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, the men behind the Lego movie, have said that Marvel characters are not likely to appear in the sequel to the Lego movie. Marvel is doing fine on their own, they've said, so they don't think that they could convince them to have their characters in a Warner Brothers movie to interact with Batman and friends. Kind of in a Roger Rabbit style. And if you know anything about what it took to get all those characters together on Roger Rabbit, a lot of negotiating, a lot of deals, uh, it would take a lot for uh, Warner Brothers, who was pretty much owns DC Comics, for the, you know for them to be able to work with Disney and Marvel to be able to get some Marvel Lego characters going in the movie. I don't know if Marvel really would be that convinced to come to the table because they like like the two men had said they are pretty much doing pretty well on their own. So it's not really that they need to do it. I would like to see it. It would be fun. You know, sometimes DC and Marvel has collaborated together. Uh, there is Spider-Man versus Superman comics and things like that. I've got a I've got a couple of comics that are Batman and Spider-Man. Uh, it is fun when they get together and do something together, uh, but uh, it's not likely to happen. But here's some interesting news. Doctor Strange has Scott Derrickson for a director. And now the role of Strange himself is up for grabs. Top contenders are Benedict Cumberbatch. I hope I said his name right. There's so many people trying to say it a lot of different ways. And I don't know if anybody knows for sure how to say it except for Benedict himself. Uh, but he is from Sherlock and also from Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, he played uh, Khan, uh, which... We, we mentioned on several podcasts before that he was good. He wasn't quite Ricardo Montalban, but he is very good. He is very entertaining, and he can be very creepy when he needs to be. Uh, also up for the role is Tom Hardy, uh, the Bane that sounded like Picard uh, in The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, my vote is for Cumberbatch, and not that I don't think Tom Hardy is a pretty good actor, but I, I, I really couldn't see him as Doctor Strange. But Benedict Cumberbatch, I could see him playing Doctor Strange and being very interesting in the role, so I really do hope he gets it. Coming this September for your mobile device, Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, and here's the official word that came from Gameloft. Fans will enjoy the thrill of swinging, running, and fighting through a chaotic New York on the brink of destruction as the Sinister Six attempt to gain unlimited, unlimited power by opening a malevolent dimensional rift into our world. It's up to Peter Parker and the iconic Spider-Man variations such as Iron Spider-Man, Spider-Man Noir, Future Foundation Spider-Man, and Ben Riley Spider-Man to team up and stop them. Fans will be inspired to collect and upgrade over 23 different Spider-Men, the most variations in any game, as they battle through an episodic adventure featuring three narrative-driven issues facing Green Goblin, Vulture, Electro, and their dimensional counterparts along the way. Uh, there was a little bit of a video, actually, I found on this, and they're showing a Green Goblin as he's presented in the regular comics, not the Ultimate Comics line, so... I think they might be calling it Ultimate Spider-Man in name only, uh, and I, I don't know if it's being based around, you know, a little bit from the uh, the animated series currently, or just pulled from comics. They did have a Mary Jane show up in there that kind of looks a little bit more like the Ultimate Comics variation from the early, before you know, the early comics of it before they've kind of changed over to a different person being Spider-Man. But, of course, you see a lot of these other variations like Iron Spider-Man and Future Foundation Spider-Man, which are from the mainstream Marvel Universe. So it's kind of fun. They're just kind of mixing it all together. Uh, and I do have a quote here from... Uh, I think it's Javen Frazier. He's the VP of Games Marketing at Marvel. And he says, Gameloft has done a great job of creating a true-to-character Spider-Man experience for mobile gamers. Fans of all ages will enjoy the endless action of running, swinging, and fighting through villains across New York City. Sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Um, this is coming out in September. 
I'm kind of hoping to actually have a new phone come November, and I might just get it on a newer phone than, than the current Android I'm using. We might be getting something from Samsung next time. Who knows? But anyways, I digress. Ghostbusters turns 30 this summer. In fact, there was an event actually just uh, on Saturday where they wanted a bunch of people to watch it and then interact over Twitter. I didn't get a chance to participate in that, but I'm sure they had fun. I think probably it was matching the actual release date. But uh, on August 29th, 700 screens will be showing the film. Also announced is a Blu-ray release of Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2. Okay, uh, Josh Trank, director of Chronicle, uh, also is set to direct the new Fantastic Four movie, uh, is signed on to direct a Star Wars spinoff. Uh, if he's behind any of the nonsense we've been hearing about the Fantastic Four that is, isn't a Fantastic Four movie, then I'm not excited. However, I'm still excited that Gareth Edwards, who helmed the, the recent Godzilla movie, is set to do a spin-off from the Star Wars universe first. So, that could be good. And, well, that's all the news that's fit for news today. C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. Dr. The Disney Bunsen Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. You're living in a bubble and you haven't got a care Well, you're gonna be in trouble cause we're gonna steal your ass Cause what you got is what we need and all we do is dirty deeds Huh. 
At this time, I would like to remind you that the Neverland Podcast is dependent upon your donations. Uh, I've got some possible things for going for uh, for monthly recurring donations. If you go to NeverlandPodcast.com, you can find a link uh, where you can donate a one-time whatever you want, feel like you know helping me out to pay for the show. Because um, I do offer it to you free, but of course there is cost to me. Um, so if you would like to kind of sponsor and kind of help out a little bit, uh, there's a PayPal link for you. You can kind of donate and kind of help take care of my costs. Uh, I was planning on having a review of the film Edge of Tomorrow, but because money actually is tight around here this week, I wasn't able to uh, go to get that review for you. So, yeah, you, you see how it does kind of come back around. Um, I am working on some ideas now. If you were looking on the iTunes feed, and I believe the Stitcher feed got it as well, I didn't put it up on the website, but I released a bit of bonus content. Uh, my conversation that I had with Tim Devine, as you now, if you've listened, you know, went on a lot longer than what I played on the episode where he was on here to talk about Disney music. We wandered and we talked about a lot of different things. Uh, but I'm planning on having little bits of bonus content with some, maybe some extra shows, and uh, it'll, it'll probably start maybe next month and everything. I'm kind of working on this. 
But I will have these shows be exclusive to people who subscribe to the show by by doing a monthly uh, reoccurring donation, which will be up available on the website soon. Uh, so anybody who would like to sign up for that, I'll you know very much appreciate it, and I'll give you a little bit of bonus every week. Uh, also, I'll, eventually, I will work, and uh, perhaps we'll have an app for your phone. Uh, I'm still working on on that, but uh, it potentially could happen. So you know, I'll let you know when I kind of get it around. Okay. Uh, also, don't forget to vis- visit my sponsor links uh, on NeverlandPodcast.com. I do have a link there for Roku. Also for uh, another website that a friend of mine does where she does a lot of design. And if you look at the logo I'm currently using, she did the text that says Neverland Podcast and all that. She does very good work. Uh, she does some creative design for web design and everything. And uh, also, I do have where you can purchase from iTunes. Uh, I will try to find the Spaceballs theme that I played uh, and try to get that linked up there if it's available. Uh, but you can – I have a search box for iTunes as well. So if you go on there and you search and you purchase something, I get a little bit from that. And so it does help you know, keep the show going because you know, if, if I go broke and I can't afford my hosting anymore, then the show goes. So I'm not a wealthy person. I'm sure you aren't either. But if you would like to help out, I, I would sure appreciate it. And speaking of helping me out, I would also would love to be able to go to the Friends of the Magic meet coming up in early August – uh, if you go to neverlandpodcast.com and you go under the header FOTM, you can kind of find out about it and find my Kickstarter page. Friends of the Magic is a big meeting of a lot of different podcasters that's going to take place around Disneyland, and I cannot afford to get myself there. But if I go, I'm going to film and create a DVD, which you can you can choose that as a reward. You can also choose a T-shirt. Uh, I've also got a DVD I'll make you from uh, when I went to Walt Disney World. If you would like that, I will send that to you as a reward for, uh, for your pledge. If, of course, we have to hit the goal in order for anyone's pledge to actually come through. And so if we get me there, I'll also be recording a lot of audio, which I will then come and share on the show. It'll be a lot of fun. I'd really like to be able to cover it for you and bring something home for you to and to share. Uh, but I really need your help to get there. So... Uh, you know, if you you know would take the time, you feel like you have a little bit extra somewhere, you know, that you want to do something kind of cool with, and you want to get actually rewarded for it. I would very much appreciate that as well. But enough about me plugging and trying to ask for money because I'm, that's what I'm, not what I'm here for. Uh, I am going to continue what we started last week. I had uh, Scott and Tracy from the Disney Indiana podcast. We had a little discussion about villains, which is why I chose to play the Spaceballs theme. We're still discussing villains around here. Um, so hopefully you did catch the first part. If you didn't, go back and listen to uh, that would be episode 26. And you can hear the first half of our discussion about uh, some of our favorite villains. Uh, this week is gonna, we're going to start mentioning a few bit that you're going to be a bit more familiar with, I'm sure. Uh, because, you know, the honorable mention list is full of a lot of villains that I figured, well, somebody's probably going to mention. So I won't be have them on my top of my list because I wanted to let them kind of name out some of the bigger ones, you know. So, but they do get mentioned. We do kind of run through them real quick. Uh, once again, I do apologize for kind of the white noise that was coming from their their side of the microphone. Uh, whenever they weren't speaking, it would slowly just build up, and then when they'd speak, it would it would go away again. Uh, I don't know what was causing it. I don't know anything that I can do to have fixed it. Uh, so it's just kind of there. It'll be over in your right channel where their voices will come from. So just to let you know. But anyways, without further ado, here is the second half of my conversation with Scott and Tracy about Villain. Enjoy. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll move on. Now, I hopefully this next villain, uh, 
that I mentioned here doesn't need near as much explanation because, you know, Alien Symbiote, I had to explain why I was going for the overall alien and also the tie-in to Fact of Guardians of the Galaxy, Phantom of the Opera, because nobody's really read the book but me, it seems, sometimes. But uh, this next one, all I have to do is mention them, and I'll find out uh, if you guys are familiar with this or not um, just from saying it. Weeping Angels. We're not big Whovians. Oh, no, goodness. I'm going to have to explain this then after all. These no, we, will we give know. you nightmares. Yeah, we're, we're aware of them, but uh, we don't we don't follow Doctor Who that much. We have some friends that are, so I, I know who they are, but it's not something that, that we've watched a whole lot of. Oh, so I've only I started getting in Doctor Who, I guess it'll be about a year and a half ago, because with Netflix, I saw it had the, the newer series on there. I thought, well, you know, let me check it out. Everybody says this is good, and then I just got hooked. But while I was still watching some of the early seasons, uh, we were invited to fry some, uh, some we, when we just started going to the church we're at now, some of the older people invited us over for uh, New Year's, uh, and it turns out they were Doctor Who fans. And they had me sit and watch with the, with them. Uh, they were watching uh, the Christmas special for that time, which was actually a big story with the Weeping Angels. It's the first time I'd seen them, and I didn't know anything about them. But it freaked me out because uh, you had uh, this one character who's now I know his name is Rory, and he's surrounded by these all these different angel statues that are all staring at him, and he's got this lighter, and so it's the only light he has, and he's just he's just staring back. And then, or not a lighter, but matches. And every time a match would go out, he'd quickly light up another one, and every time the light would come on, the statues would be a little closer to him. <laughs> and he was down in this dark basement, and eventually it gets to where he gets down to the last match, and there's like a cherub angel that's just right next to him, and he gets this last match lit, and it's right next to the face of a cherub angel who's in the position of blowing it out, and suddenly you see the, the, the matches. <sighs> <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> But uh, throughout that show, uh, basically the, the the concept of weeping angels is when you're not watching them, that's when they move. Right. But when you look at them, they can't move. It's uh, something weird. I can't remember. There was a reason that they gave the first time they appeared. Um, but when they're when when you if you look at one right when it's getting close to it attacking you, their face changes in this horrible, fangy, sharp teeth, horrible, scary thing when they're right on you. Uh, and it, oh my goodness, it scares the dickens out of you when you watch a scene where they're trying to get away in this big, uh, kind of like a hotel that they were in in this Christmas episode. And everywhere they turned, there's more statues. And they just, every time they look away and look back, it's a little bit closer to them. And oh my goodness, it, it, I was just like, oh my gosh, how do you get out of this? And so that became one of like the number one villains on there. I mean, granted, yeah, I love the Daleks and the Cybermen, which actually I did kind of write the Cybermen down just because they remind me of the Borg in Star Trek. And I thought, well, that's an honorable mention of anything because the Borg were kind of frightening. And when I watched Doctor Who and learned of the Cybermen, I realized this was been the basics for the Borg is the Cybermen. So I wrote them down as well for like honorables, but yo, my goodness, the weeping angels will give you nightmares. So <laughs> they're definitely on my list. The weird thing is, is it's like, it's like they don't actually kill you, but you are dead in your current time period because they, they sap the energy of transposing you backwards in time. So you are dead in the timeline that you used to exist in, but at least you're still alive. But now you're in a completely different year sometime in the past. And so at least they don't kill you outright, but they may as well have. But, oh, scary stuff. Oh, 
<laughs> if you ever get to watch one of those episodes, you'll probably get hooked to Doctor Who real quick, but you'll also have nightmares of angel statues, and you'll always give one a second look anytime you see one in somebody's yard. <laughs> and I've heard of some great pranks of what people will do now to people. They, I've heard of somebody who would prank their mother because their, their, their mother was all into Doctor Who. They actually had an angel statue that uh, they found, and they laid it and set it right next to the on, their, on the bedstand. So when their mother woke up, that's the first thing she saw was this angel oh, right there that wasn't evil. there when she went to sleep. <laughs> Wow. Oh, and a friend of mine says it would be the awesome. He wants to find a good tall one that you can put right outside a friend of his window. So when you wake up in the morning, suddenly there's this angel statue right outside your window that wasn't there before. <laughs> so, oh, yes, yeah, so many potential pranks with that. But it'll make you never want to have an angel statue in your yard again. <laughs> and it was especially creepy about this episode. I got to throw this in before we move on. Uh, at one point... Uh, he, if the camera is looking at a weeping angel, they tend to stop also because you are looking at them. Uh, but there was one shot on the top of the building where somebody has been running from the angels in the building in that same hotel room and had gotten to the roof and thinking they're safe. But then the camera pulls back and you look right behind this person that they're in New York and the Statue of Liberty is standing right behind him with the fang face. Oh no. Yeah. It's like, oh no, that's a big giant weeping angel. <laughs> So, so scary. Well, now you got me thinking of Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> Not nearly that friendly, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, but we'll move on before uh, we give anybody nightmares with talking about weeping angels. Because, yeah, Whovians will know and shudder if you mention them. <laughs> That's what makes Doctor Who so cool, is all of the villains and aliens he comes across are in some way frightening beyond belief. <laughs> But yeah, so moving on, Tracy. I think, what, what are, we, are we up to three? Yeah, but this is the fourth level of things, so we're almost rounded up where we can go to honorable mentions. So. Yep. Well, I'm getting to my first human in the list, and I'm going to, I can probably give her away with one famous quote. I'm your biggest fan. I went syndrome with that one, so I don't think I went the right <laughs> way. Oh. No. I am your biggest fan. <laughs> It's before syndrome. Before syndrome. Right. There you go. Yep. Annie Wilkes. And I've both read the book and watched the 1990 film where she's played by Kathy Bates. And part of me likes the book a little bit better, but Kathy Bates puts on a phenomenal performance as this woman who is just nuts (laughs) for... When she this goes and gets the sledgehammer, oh. she sends chills through my... I mean, I've had, in my life, I've had three broken ankles on one leg and two on the other. And that scene where she goes and gets the sledgehammer just gives me the willies every time I see it. Yeah, yeah I watched that movie once and thought, okay, I'm done with that one. <laughs> yeah, she actually won both the Oscar and the Golden Globe that year for Best Actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was so scary in that. I remember seeing like the next thing I saw with her in, and she was playing such nice characters because she she's so good. But yeah. you're, it's, it's, if you go into like say watch Titanic and you see the characters she plays in that, it being so entirely different, there's still part of it like remembers Misery. But you're like, but you're so nice in this movie. But I still remember Misery. And oh. yeah, yeah, I have a real hard time seeing her in any other roles. Mm-hmm. But she she actually placed on uh, that. Um, a, American Film Institute, 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains as well, 17. Wow. Which I found a little surprising, but I kind of agree with it, too. 
Yeah, that's a good pick. See, a, a, a good villain, that's one of the things, is like, you know, a lot of times a good villain helps just make the hero look good because the hero is the one that saves us from that villain, but sometimes a villain is good just because they scare the heck out of you. Yeah. yeah. She's one of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I guess we'll move on to Scott's next pick. Well, I'm glad early on you did a twofer because I've got a twofer at this <laughs> at this position. So Yeah, I've listened to Blue Mangella too much. I know how to sneak in twofers. <laughs> <laughs> And this one is going um, to Hammer Films, but it's not who you think. <laughs> there, um, one of the films that we did for 1951 Down Place, which was uh, basically our Christmas-themed episode for this uh, past uh, holiday season, is a film called Cash on Demand from 1961. It's a heist film, basically, where uh, it's a small-town bank that... Um, the whole film is an interaction between the, the, the bank robber and uh, the head of the bank. Now, the head of the bank is played by Peter Cushing. Awesome role for Peter Cushing. But Colonel Gore Hepburn, played by Andre Morel, is this suave, play, you know, incredibly smart bank robber that has been planning this uh, job to, to rob this bank for over a year at one point he says in the film even to the point where he knows everything about what's going on in the bank he knows uh, about the, their Christmas party that's coming up that night he knows that Peter Cushing's character is probably not going to the um, Christmas party because everyone in the bank doesn't like him he just knows all the interaction with everything going on and you know, he even bluffs his way into the bank to begin with because he poses as a representative of the insurance company that banks the, uh, that backs the bank, and he's there to check up on their security systems. Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he is just an amazing, amazing role uh, for and- Andre Morel. And the reason I say this is a twofer because he is pretty much a prototype for Hans Gruber in Die Hard. Ah. Played by Alan Rickman in uh, 1988. That same type of role. Now, this cash on demand doesn't nearly have the action scenes that Die Hard has. But they, Hans Gruber and... uh, Colonel Gore Hepburn are very, very similar characters that plan out this elaborate bank heist. And I've always liked really intelligent bad guys. Oh, yeah. They're a lot more fun to watch than... I think they're more fun to watch than than a maniac bad guy. Because these guys, you know, they have to plan for all these contingencies and everything and, and... to see how they've come up with doing the different things is just a lot of fun for me. So that's why I'm choosing uh, Cash on Demand from 1961. I know that's probably something that most people have not seen, but I'm sure most people have seen Die Hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I do like a good, thoughtful villain who always seems to be one step ahead of you, and every time you think, oh, we're on to you, they're surprised. Yeah. Which is actually, I've got somebody who's kind of, kind of probably just going to be an honorable mention that I will bring in there that always was that one villain that was always one step ahead. And, and that's exactly what Colonel Gore Hepburn is, Andre Morel. If you like that type of movie, um, seek out Cash on Demand. It's worth worth a uh, look. 
Okay, and now I have it recorded, so I'm going to have to remember to check that one out, because I probably like that one, too. But, you know, most people, when I, I talk about, uh, you know, Hammer films, they're going to go, you know, Peter Cushing as uh, Dr. Frankenstein, or, excuse me, as Van Helsing or Dr. Frankenstein. Well, Van Helsing's a good guy, so that yeah. procures him from this lift, list. And I personally... In the Frankenstein story, especially the way Hammer portrays it, I don't really see Dr. Frankenstein necessarily as a bad guy, as a villain. He is more a man of science who is trying to test his theories. Now, it's his creatures he can't control. I kind of have to argue with you, Scott. He he is an amoral yes. character. Uh, which... he doesn't, he, yeah, he doesn't really care that you know his creature is going, going to be hideous or be monstrous he's trying to prove his theories yeah that's kind of mm, the book he means a little villainy for me yeah this is, sometimes villain is interesting when they're kind of an accidental villain sort of like elsa in frozen to me she's an accidental villain she causes all this trouble but she really didn't mean to right so and that's kind of way i see victor frankenstein even in the book the book is very depressing uh, but he he he's just he gets like maniacal about this theory that I could bring life to the dead and all this stuff, and then he does and he realizes, oh my gosh, I did something pretty horrible, and now he can't stand to look at his creature that now looks upon him as a father that's abandoned him, and so oh my gosh, the book is just depressing and, and frightening in its own way, and if Hammer is anything like that, then ooh. Yeah, now I will I will be revisiting Peter Cushing later on in this list though. I think I have a guess on who he might be. Because <laughs> I think for most people, if, if we say Peter Cushing and a lot of people don't recognize who that is yet, there's one way you can make everybody go, oh, him. Oh, him. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, Peter Cushing shares the same birthday as me, as well as John Wayne, so I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting. Peter Cushing birthday and then two days later is Christopher Lee's birthday yeah <laughs> that's true I remember hearing today was Christopher Lee's yep. birthday he's 96 I want to yes. say and also today would have been Vincent Price's birthday oh I miss Vincent Price too <laughs> so you got a you got a, a, a three really good strong horror film stars that yes <laughs> their birthdays fall within a couple of days of each other yeah and within John Wayne. So John Wayne's what would keep them all in line because yes. they, would, they would not cross the Duke. <laughs> no. You need somebody that, you need someone in the statue of the Duke to be able to keep the other three in line. Yep. Okay, well we'll move on. Now I already did throw out there mentioning the Borg and Cybermen. I just always thought that was kinda of interesting how they were similar. And the Borg were kind of a frightening thing. I do recall when they when they got Picard in that one episode and that it was like a what a two parter? The, the best of both worlds. That yeah. was the end of season three was yeah. the cliffhanger into season four, who was part two. And that was something I was thinking I'll either was going to mention at least, or at least honorable mention, but if we're going to talk Star Trek, we want to talk the greatest villain. And this is, this is, uh, this is going to be one of those obvious ones, I know. But uh, especially if you see back in the original series, I think it's season two. It's Space uh, Seed. Space Seed, yes. Oh my goodness. Because there's there is Khan, and I always forget what the rest of his name is, but played by Ricardo Montalban, and Nunian like, no. yeah. Khan Nunian Singh, I yes. think it is. Yeah, very good. But uh, they revive him, and before they realize who he is or this ship, after the Enterprise has found this ship with all these people on it, and they manage to kind of revive him, 
and they don't realize who he is until they're slowly getting this history of this great war that happened on Earth and how Khan had actually like conquered the world before the eugenics it. wars. The eugenics wars, where they'd actually made these race of supermen who are super intelligent and super strong and everything, and but all these great scenes, this interactions between Khan and uh, the nurse. Uh, where she's kind of attracted to him uh, as his, his power, and she's always been into powerful kind of kind of somewhat evil men, you know. And so she's very attracted to Khan, but he's got these great lines to us like, "Stay or go, but whatever you do, do what you choose to do," and just just great ridiculous dialogue that they gave him. But uh, you know, it's weird to think that he had one one episode of Star Trek. And then probably still the greatest Star Trek movie that's ever going to be made, although I've, I've loved most of them, but the greatest one is still going to be The Wrath of Khan. Episode 2. Yes, oh my goodness. that That's the first Star Trek movie I actually had seen. And, uh, wow, it's it's still, every time I watch it, it kind of blows me away. I mean, it, it begins the whole sequence with the Genesis Project and everything, but Ricardo Montalban makes such a great villain. <laughs> And, and he gets, he could say such, you know, and like big things and can make it like the coolest thing you've ever heard. Like when he starts quoting Moby Dick there. Oh, yeah. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. Right as he detonates the Genesis device and, you know, it's, oh my gosh, such great. That's like, that would be like your overall general. If you were going to put a team of villains together, he, I'd put him in charge. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for people that only know Ricardo Montalban from Fantasy Island because this is not that Ricardo Montalban. He is outstanding, especially in the film. I just, I, I just really, you know, he's had what is it, thirty years on SETI Alpha. I think it's SETI Alpha Five, mm-hmm. and. You know, he he was there just a couple of years because that's where they drop him off at the end of Space Seed, yep. and, and like SETI Alpha Six explodes, and so SETI Alpha Five is now this barren wasteland where Khan loses his wife and a lot of his crew died because of of the elements there, and so he has this whole time to just fester his anger towards Kirk. Oh yeah, and he just unleashes, you know, a mess. A mess. <laughs> Takes right. over an entire ship. Has these creepy worm things he can put in your ear to control you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know the worms always gave me the creepies every time he did it. I was like, ah. make me want to get into like a, uh, I almost said toothpick, but no, that's not. You don't want to stick a toothpick in your ear. No. That always makes me want to go clean my ears out with a with a Q-tip, not toothpick. <laughs> and I feel sorry for, uh, now I cannot think of the actor's name, and uh in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, which was a really good film. Yes. Oh, that's right, because he was Sherlock. Yeah. Yes. And he's a great actor, and he made it for a really good villain, and I did like him, but he's just not Ricardo Montalban. No. No. I I have a funny story that relates to Star Trek 2. Back in... (laughs) Tracy's already starting to laugh. Back when I was in college, I think I was a freshman in college, I went down to Florida to stay spring break with my grandparents. And part of that trip, we went to Universal Studios. Now, this was late 80s. And at the time, they had a place where you could go and you could film some scenes and they would insert you into a movie. One of the options was Star Trek. Oh, <laughs> now you needed two people to do this. So, my grandfather, um, you know, 
was the type of grandfather that would do anything for his grandkids. So he went in and, and did this with me, having never seen an episode of Star Trek and knew nothing about what was going on. Now, in this uh, little film, the two of us played new recruits uh, to the Federation, and we were uh, I was going to be the captain, and my grandfather was the first, Vul- the first officer who was also a Vulcan. And we were going out on a uh, like a, a test cruise with the rest of the crew of the Enterprise. You actually see them in the in the film. Now they use scenes from when Khan first shows up in that film and disables the shields of the Enterprise and that battle that uh, takes on. But instead of Khan in this, they have Klingons that are on the, the smaller ship. But it's the exact same. You know, when they show the space scenes, it's the scenes from Star Trek Two. Cool. And um, my grandfather, um, the way they did it, you, you stood in this room and they had the words, your lines you had to say on big poster board hanging on the wall. And they wanted you to look at those words when you were reading them. That way your character on the screen would be orientated in the right way that they wanted you to look when they when they put you in the film. And we, we went through three we went through the lines three times and then they would take the best, uh, like you came back later that day to pick up your tape. Well, my grandfather, when he starts off, he's got both of the, the fake ears on. About two or three minutes in, he now only has one of them because one of them fell off. And then at the end of it, he's got both of them back again. <laughs> <laughs> you knew Vulcans would, could regenerate their ears so quickly. Sure. <laughs> so I, I love Star Trek II. I love Ricardo Montalvan as, as Khan. I think he's a great villain, but... I, I have very pleasant memories when I when I think of Star Trek Two because of of that video. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would so, be fun. So it doesn't really fit in with the villains list, but that is uh, that's a good story though. <laughs> so yes, I was I was the uh, new recruit captain, and we actually defeated the um the Klingons that were trying to destroy the Enterprise because I had a fake bomb. <laughs> And Tracy has seen the video, and I am a ham. Oh, my goodness. You yes. guys need to scan this thing and get it up on YouTube on your website or something. You are not the first person that's asked us to do that, and I have yet to do that. <laughs> I converted it from tape to DVD so it would last longer, but I have not uh, I have not put it online. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't make me have Neverlanders. I will have the Lost Boys start sending you emails. <laughs> I have some lost girls probably too. And they will go. <laughs> okay, well, we probably better get going because this is going to be a long show. Uh, so, all right, so our fifth one, before we start just naming off the uh, ones that would be an obvious. Uh, so, all right, so going back to Tracy for your number five. All right, returning once again to Disney, I'm going with at the. Main villain from 1961's 101 Dalmatians, Cruella DeVille. If she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will. (laughs) She was voiced by Betty Lou Gerson and animated by Mark Davis, who is one of Disney's nine old men. And according to some research I did, she was kind of based on the actress Tallulah Bankhead. And I, I personally don't think you can get much more evil than someone who's willing to kill puppies for fashion. <laughs> yeah, and I hear Google being searched many times now for Toluca. 
Everybody's wanting to say, what does she look like? <laughs> so Cruella DeVille also made it onto the AFI's list of 100 villains. She was 39th. And in 2002, the magazine Forbes ranked Cruella as the 13th wealthiest fiction character. <laughs> Thought it was kind of fun to throw in. Yeah, I got to give credit to Glenn Close for playing the live action version. I thought she actually did a really good job of that. I was surprisingly impressed by her as well. Yeah. Because I was thinking, I don't know, a live action Hunter and Dalmatians? Let's see. And then I watched it and saw her as Cruella, and I was like, oh, she's got this nailed. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the first one, 102 Dalmatians. Uh... <laughs> I skipped that one because I heard it wasn't any good. That was a good move. Okay, well, I guess if we don't have anything else to say about Cruella, we'll move on to Scott's fifth one. <laughs> I actually have six. I'll just warn you that right now. I, I couldn't I couldn't keep it to five. Well, neither could I. I still have a long list that I'm going to read off the honorable mentions of ones that would be obvious, but uh, I was trying not to be obvious. Well, both, uh, both my last two have to do with Disney. One original Disney. Well, actually, neither of them were quite 100% original Disney. But um, they are considered Disney now. And I'm going to go with my Peter Cushing reference. And I'm going to go with Grand Moff Tarkin from Star Wars. Of course. So anybody who didn't know who he was, <laughs> now you know. Anybody that's willing to destroy an entire planet and all of its inhabitants just to get the location of the rebel base, that's a villain. <laughs> yep. It's too bad that he only lasted one movie because it would have been great to keep him around. <laughs> oh, yeah. That and the fact that he was uh, he was controlling Darth Vader, who most people say is the ultimate villain in that film. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Holding his leash, as I believe Princess Leia put it. Right. I was just yes. about to say that. <laughs> well, that and he also calls uh, Vader off when he's choking the uh, the guy in the conference room. Yep. So that that man had some guts to be able to control Vader. And destroying an entire planet, so I, I just really, really like Grand Moff Tarkin. Yeah, and he's his, he's got that supreme overconfidence, like evacuate in our moment of triumph. I think you overestimate their chances. Kaboom! Yes, <laughs> Cushing is just an awesome, awesome actor, and that's yeah. that's the way he is in most of his films that I've seen. He's just, he's got this air about him, and he's just incredible to watch we always joke on on down place that that we're all team cushing he's our you know most hammer fans are either team cushing or or team lee we're all team cushing so how about being team cushly <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah that that's uh one of um one of my lists now uh since you know we're gonna do five i'm gonna sneak my other one in here really quick and it's from who framed roger rabbit Christopher Lloyd as Judge Doom. I thought he'd be top of your list. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody I mean, who would try to kill Jessica Rabbit is evil. Incarnate, is right? Exact, exactly. <laughs> well, he was actually trying not only to kill Jessica, he was trying to wipe out Toontown from the map. Invents Dip. He actually is a Toon that killed a human because he kills Eddie Valiant's brother. This man is making no friends in that film. <laughs> and he's he's trying to destroy all of the tunes just so they can build a, a highway. Super highway. Yes. It's not even a toll road, I don't think. I think it's a freeway. Yes. Yeah. He buys, 
you know, he first off he buys the red card, shuts the red card down. Yep. And now he's going to kill the tunes because he invents dip. <laughs> which I love the idea of dip in that film because, you know, paint thinner, turpentine, what else would you erase ink and paint with? Exactly. <laughs> But yes, Christopher Lloyd as as Judge Doom. In in the end, when he his eyes are revealed, you to see his eyes, and he starts talking in that silly high voice. <laughs> I look just like this. <laughs> Everybody's level meters just went off the top of the charts there. <laughs> well, I do have a leveler program. I'm going to run this through, so it'll hopefully take care of that. But uh, <laughs> I just. I just love him in that film. I think he's just outstanding. Oh, yeah. Christopher Lloyd's pretty much just awesome in everything. Yes. (laughs) But this is one of the few times... I can't think of very many times that Christopher Lloyd's playing a bad guy. Well, he was kind of a jerk in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Well, that's true. But Nurse Ratchet's the evil person in that film. Yeah. I can't think of any other villains he's played either. Um... There was, I didn't see that there was some TV show he did a guest spot that he was playing like uh, somebody's vampire grandfather or something. (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember what show it was though now. I just remember seeing the commercials for it and I was thinking I should have to watch that and then I completely missed it. I don't even know what show it was. Oh, darn it. Oh, well. Okay, so now level five here and I still have a really long list. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick out, there's one I'm surprised you guys didn't mention. But I'll just throw him in his honorable mention. But I'm going to pick up the one that's kind of a weird backwards because he's only villain for the first half of the movie. And I'm going to, and because I haven't mentioned anybody Disney yet, I'm going to throw in the Beast mm. because the first half of that movie, the the just what he does with his cape, and I love the bit where where he's giving Belle the tour of the castle and he's forbidding her to go to the West Wing, and she starts to ask, well, what's in the West Wing? And the way he turns and has that wide shot and the echo as he turns around, it is forbidden, and that echo, and mm-hmm. the snarl. It's, uh, it's just, he's, he's kind of the villain at that point. At that point, you know, Gaston is like the typical guy you would expect to be the hero, and he's this wonderful macho man, and you're just, he's so comical that you love Gaston, you know. And Gaston doesn't really get into his good villainous roots until he's plotting to have Maurice locked up. And you're like, oh, I don't like you anymore. You're a jerk. Have, have you ever seen the musical? Yes, the love Beast? it, love it, love it. I love the song B from Gaston. Yes. <laughs> There's that a is one of for me that... to play that song because I have it. So I'm going to remember that. Click. Been dreaming just one dream nearly all your life. Hoping, scheming just one theme. Will you be a wife? Will you be some he-man's property? Good news that he-man's me. Equation girl plus man doesn't help just you. On occasion, women can have their uses too, mainly to extend the family tree. Pumpkin, extend with me. 
amazing sons galore. Inconceivable. Each built six foot four. Unbelievable. Each one stuffed with every Gaston gene. I'm not hearing You'll this. be keeping house with pride. Just incredible. Each day gratified so that you are part of this idyllic scene. Picture this. A rustic hunting lodge. My latest kill roasting over the fire. My little wife massaging my feet while the little ones play on the floor with the dogs. Oh, we'll have six or seven. Dogs? No, Belle. Strapping boys like me. Imagine that. I can see that we will share all that love implies. We shall be the perfect pair, rather like my thighs. You are face to face with destiny. All roads lead to the best things in life are all's well that ends with me. Escape me, there's no way, certain as Dore. it be? Is it yes or is it oh yes? I I just don't deserve you. Who does? Me! But thanks for asking. That is probably my, my favorite song even better than the ones that were in the movie i just i love me i can i can sing that along with that song and it's just that's that's gaston he's so full of himself <laughs> i still love the the last line of it i just don't deserve it who does <laughs> so is it yes or oh yes <laughs> oh so we'll we'll share that together as them being villains as being some of the just the greatest villains of fun. <laughs> okay, but now I'm going to do honorable mentions, and these are pretty much the obvious ones that I tried to avoid because they were too obvious, and I thought, well, I'll let one of you perhaps bring them up. But uh, Darth Vader, obviously, he's an icon of villains. The Joker, and, and I don't care the which Heath, version you go. Oh, uh, the Heath Ledger Joker. Uh, is my favorite, even though I do like um, Jack Nicholson. No, Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill. Joker. <laughs> yes, I was blanking on there. Mark Hamill is an amazing Joker. Most people don't know um, his work as the Joker. You know, when you think Mark Hamill, you think Luke Skywalker, but no, he he's almost as well known as being the voice of the Joker in the animated series, yeah. and he's amazing. And even in uh, some of the Batman video games, he played the Joker in, like, Arkham Asylum and uh, some of the other ones here lately. Yeah, what, I think he was the only voice of the Joker in, for, like, 30 years? Something, some outrageous amount of time. He just retired from doing it here yeah. recently. Well, they did use some other people on some of the, uh, what DC would do, like Warner Brothers Home Videos, there would be some other people who would do a voice for the Joker, but nobody was quite the same. You just can't live up to it. So he's always going to be the greatest Joker, but like that's got to be the one. And, and keeping him with that line of Batman, the Riddler, and I'm not talking, you know, Frank Gorshin is kind of fun, and I guess Jim Carrey was kind of fun, but I'm talking the Riddler like you would find in the comics, where he's always trying to outsmart Batman, and even what they did in the, uh, like, uh, 
well, the sequel to Arkham Asylum, what was it, Arkham City, where he sets these riddles that are also these death traps that if you don't solve it, some citizens are going to die and you with them, Batman, because I'm smarter than you. If you would just admit it, that I'm smarter than you, it's not too late for you to quit, but he always sets these horrible death traps, and I always thought if they'd have kept going with the, the, what was pretty much now known as the Dark Knight trilogy, if they'd ever gotten around to a Riddler who was more of a serious Riddler and not bouncing around like the 60s series, and it was frightening because he would set these riddles that were actually complete puzzles, death traps, like if you don't solve my riddle, you're dead, then that would have been a lot better. So I had the list of Riddler. And, of course, if you've seen the pose I have uh, in the drawing of myself for uh, from Neverland, this will make sense. But I had to put Skeletor down for being an iconic villain. <laughs> and on that level, you also got to consider Shredder. And, of course, because this is Neverland, I also have to put in Captain Hook. And I don't care which version you go with, because in the Disney version, he was hilarious. I loved him there. In the book, he's scary as heck, and I love him there. And I really love Dustin Hoffman as Hook. Oh, so good. You can't go wrong with any of those. Exactly. Then, of course, I had to write down Loki because, let's face it, he's been so well played here in the movies that he's now become one of the like the far favorite Marvel villains. They can never go wrong. As long as they keep having Tom Hiddleston around to play Loki, he'll be around a good long time. Uh, but also, here's one I was kind of half expected when he all to mention, Blofeld. He wouldn't be my first um, villain that I would go with, even though... Blofeld, I really my the one I like is when Telly Savalas plays him in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I didn't see is that it, one. Yeah, he seems the most diabolical. Diabolical. I mean, in the film, it, it, he's also in the film more in this one than a lot of the other ones because he is basically brainwashing these women that uh, to take these tainted seeds back to their farms and stuff all over the world and he's going to poison the world's food supply basically and I just I also really like Telly Savalas as an actor so yeah but you have well, to put Blofeld down just for being one of those villains who can stay one step ahead of James Bond and always get away now now go ahead Tracy yeah. you're on your yeah list. I I had a Bond villain on my honorable mention list and that would be Oric Goldfinger yes and he would be the first Bond villain that I would have picked. Right. I just recently read the novel Goldfinger for the first time, and I like him better in the novel. I think he actually gets more evil tasks done, although I like the twist they put on his heist in the movie. Yeah. In the book, he's actually he really is trying, trying to, steal to steal the, the gold, gold out of Fort Knox. Nuking it's much more fun, though. <laughs> yes. It'll make the gold that he already has worth more, right. and it will also destroy the American economy, mm -hmm. which I'm sure he would get a lot of backers for. And he's got some of the, the best pair of lines of dialogue, though, ever in a Bond film. What, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> you gotta love it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to go with, with villains in Bond films, I'm going to have to mention two henchmen. And that's Jaws and Odd Job. Yeah. I was going to, yeah, mention Odd Job as a partner to Goldfinger, who again is a little scarier in the book than in the film. Yeah, the books are a lot more grisly and grim. And I, I have kind of liked to hear with, the, with Daniel Craig, it seemed like they got more to the character you'll find of James Bond, where he is kind of this cold, harsh killer type of guy that he's a government assassin more than a mm -hmm. spy. So, 
Yeah, but uh, one if we're gonna mention Bond villains, I'm even gonna I can't even think of the guy's name, but uh, and the villain in Skyfall was so creepy and so smart, and we're especially breaking up that whole subway crash, nearly pretty much just to kill Bond in a lot of ways. You got I can't think of the guy's name. I yeah I can't think of the either the actor or the um, character. But so he we was will. So scary. Javier Bardem was, so was the actor. Yeah. And I loved, I loved his his being a very modern take on a classic style Bond villain and the fact that he's doing cyber terrorism. You're talking about Silva, right? Uh, yeah, I believe that's what his name was. Yeah. He had, where he was a former agent until he had <laughs> taken a cyanide and it didn't kill him, but it burnt out half his mouth. Yeah, that's not the first time that they brought a former agent back to be the main villain. Yeah, You've got y- you got Giannis yes. uh, in uh, GoldenEye. Yep. And, uh, and I loved him in GoldenEye. Yeah, I love Sean Bean in about anything he's in, really. <laughs> but I got one last honorable mention. And I'm going to... This is going to sound kind of contrite or... Well, I don't know if contrite is the right word, but kind of roll your eyes because I live in Missouri. But I'm going to list Jesse James down. But I'm being specific here. In, did you ever see the Brad Pitt playing Jesse James in The Outlaw, the, the Murder of Outlaw Jesse James by the Coward, uh, whatever the guy's name was? Long title to a movie. It was kind of an independent film. I have not seen that. Uh, I actually saw that in independent theater and everything. But Brad Pitt made Jesse James so intimidating that you're scared of him kind of the entire time because you don't know what he's going to do because he could be so nice. But he always had that look that, that he knew more about what your motives were than what you've said and that he's going to let on. And you know that he's got motivation to kill you. You just don't know when he's going to do it. And uh, I, I highly recommend. Uh, now, there's I'll, I'll warn any because Neverland is a G-rated show. I'll have to warn you in the beginning. There's a little bit of rough talk uh, around some guys in a campfire, but at, from that point on, there really wasn't any language or anything like that. It's very much a historical kind of drama. But uh, Brad Pitt was just so scary as Jesse James uh, that you do kind of feel for the guy that basically gets labeled a coward for shooting him in the back. But you kind of understand why he would have done it because you'd be afraid to face him. Mm-hmm. Because the whole time that he's hanging around and he's kind of like he's being friends with Jesse James, even though uh, someone said that they'd pay him a lot of money to kill Jesse James, you kind of get the feeling that Brad Pitt, the way he looks at him, that Jesse knows, you know, you're here to kill me. Look, I've bought you with some guns. Isn't that wonderful of me? Don't, try them on. Let's see how these guns look at you. It's almost like he gives you an opportunity. It's like, you better do it now because I'm going to get you if you don't get me, you know. Oh, very, very good. So I had to put it as an honorable mention, and it, it seems kind of contrite to put that because I live in Missouri where, you know, it's a very famous. And heck, if you if you ever tour through Missouri, you will find people around that consider Jesse James to be a, a, a weird folk hero, which I'm like, no, he was a killer and a train robber, and you know, so I can't consider him any sort of heroic. He was an outlaw and a bad guy, okay? so But I have visited the home of where he was shot uh, back in school and everything, but... But I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him up as a major villain historically. I, since we're doing like movie kind of things, but the way Brad Pitt and this is one I actually just thought of while we were, we were here. There was something the money all said that triggered me to think. Oh yeah, you know, there's one. Uh, but yeah, just the way Brad Pitt plays him, I recommend it if you can find it because it was an independent film. Uh, but it's uh, I gotta think of the whole name, but it was something like uh, the murder or the assassination of Jesse James by the coward. And that's the name of the guy that shot him. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about it. Such a good movie, really. But I, it's, I only watched it once because it's very stressful because it's just because Brad Pitt was that good. 
So, <laughs> and there's not that many movies that you can say Brad Pitt was that good. Yeah. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert the coward Robert Ford from 2007. Go. Yes, I do recommend that movie. I don't know that it was like a big box office smash, but uh, if you want to see some serious acting chops from Brad Pitt, I tell you what, he's scary. <laughs> But that's all the honorable mentions I really I thought of. I, there was I was so many ones that I could mention because really there's so many great iconic villains out there. There's almost more villains than there are heroes because especially in the realm of comic books or television shows, you've got a rogues gallery of villains for that one hero to deal with. So there's so many great villains that we can just kind of celebrate the the ones that scare us, the ones that always keep us on the edge of our seat because we think what, the, what if this time, just this time the doctor can't figure out how to stop this alien from destroying the earth, you know <laughs> there's always that moment, or what if James Bond is actually going to not get out of this death trap you know any things you want to add in there to kind of wrap this up well we've already covered Tracy's honorable mention, but I did have two other ones that I wanted to mention and the first one is uh, General Zod. He yes. goes from DC. And I'm actually partial to Superman 2. Yeah. Uh, Terrence uh, Stamp because of the, the Neil before Zod. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I can't believe I didn't think of that one. And uh, the other one I wanted to mention is uh, from the from the world of graphic novels because I'm, I'm not a big fan of the television show, but the governor from the Walking Dead comics. I'm not sure if uh, if you've gotten into The Walking Dead or not, but there's a no. character there's a character called the Governor, and it's I think it's quite a ways into it when they meet him, and he's they they run across the the heroes in the in the story run across this uh, little small town that seems to be kind of normal after a, a zombie apocalypse, and it turns out that it's being run by this character called the Governor. And he is a mean, sick man. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got The Walking Dead set up on my Netflix to maybe watch. But what kind of keeps me from getting into it is that it seems like there's no hope of ever ending it. You know? And I would probably just get depressed watching it because I'm like, yes, we're surrounded by zombies and we'll never survive this. Eventually, we're all just going to die. You know? That's kind of the impression I get. I'm like, oh, there's no, there's no cure for the zombiesness. There's no way, no end in sight. So, yeah, there's there's a couple of threads where um, the CDC becomes involved because maybe they have a secret and, but yeah, you're right. It's you know, most of the population is gone, and even if you were able to to wipe out, you know, it being transferred from zombies to people that are living you've still got this whole world population of zombies you'd have to deal with yeah well for going with post-apocalyptic i just thought of one the walking man from the stand randall flag yes that's a good one i haven't got a clue <laughs> oh you've never seen it. stephen king's the yeah, stand i'm not a huge stephen read king the book? fan isn't that weird okay I mean, I've seen some of his stuff because I, I did see Misery and I saw The Running Man. Uh, yeah. I saw an old movie called Cat's Eye that was some of his work. Um, I'm sorry. Know, haven't really what, what Cat's Eye? <laughs> yeah, not really a great film, but it was interesting. The Stand is is really really good, but it's one of those that's about nine inches thick. <laughs> 
It was made into a mini series. What it was about, on ABC? Yeah, about a dozen years ago or so. Oh no, it's longer than it's maybe twenty years now. And yeah, I, I Gary Sinise. Some of the mini series. Yeah. Because I do remember the post-apocalyptic kind of themes yep. of it, and. The only Stephen King I know my wife has really ever seen that she's ever mentioned is uh, she is terrified of clowns since Pennywise. Yes. <laughs> yeah. would that, that would be choice. one that's on my honorable mention is uh, Pennywise. And I, as much as I loved Tim Curry's performance of Pennywise in the miniseries, the book is amazing. And it's another one of those that is an incredibly thick book. And it's it's so funny. My growing up, I, I read all of Stephen King's stuff, and my dad um, thought he was going to read some. He's read some of them, and he started reading it. And he got he's probably less than a hundred pages from the end of the book, but he didn't like the direction it was going, and he stopped. Now this book is fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred pages, something <laughs> like that, and he just stopped. And I I just. I couldn't get it through my head as, you know, you invested that much to get to that point, but you won't finish it. <laughs> and it, what what's really funny, what he doesn't like in the last uh, 100 pages turns around and it doesn't happen the way he thinks it's going to happen. But he's never gone back to finish the book. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just thought of some honorable mentions, though, that I forgot to get around to. I uh, haven't dived into the realm of video games, but like for iconic villains of video games, I have to mention Ganon. No Legend of Zelda game is complete to me unless I get to fight Ganon by the end. And Bowser Koopa. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to mention put those actually part of my list, and I forgot to write them down. But Well, now that you're going to mention video games, I'm going to go with Dr. Robotniks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I could take the woodland creatures and imprison them and turn them into little robots. <laughs> that is pretty evil. Yeah. What about Inky, Binky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde? <laughs> and even the Miss Pac-Man gang. Yes. So we could go on for hours and hours and hours when we start really getting into this. To bring this all the way back to earlier on in your show, you mentioned Disney Infinity. Do you play Disney Infinity? Of course I do. Uh, supposedly, it, it's either it, it either happened today or it's getting ready to come out. There, um, Maleficent is going, to, you know, for two point Is there going to be a big announcement that uh, you know they've already announced that uh, Marvel and the Avengers are coming right. to? Uh, but uh, there's another announcement that's scheduled uh, in San Francisco where they're going to talk about the Maleficent uh, playset. I, and I hope it's more based on the old Sleeping Beauty instead of like the modern movie because the modern movie I still have a lot of my doubts because it seems like they, they they made her to where she's not the villain of the story and Aurora's father is and I I'm I'm, I'm kind of not sure how I feel about that but I'm going to try to be fair and watch the movie because by the time anyone hears this they will have heard my review of the movie but uh, part of me is just kind of like eh, uh, I don't like it when you mess with that and that's why I haven't gotten into Once Upon a Time is because uh, a friend of mine's wife is into it and he reports back to me and says yeah Peter Pan was kind of the villain. Captain Hook is the hero. I'm like, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I know that uh, over at Disney Indiana, that's our next uh, podcast is we're also going to talk about Maleficent, which will be a week from Sunday when it comes out. So a week after you hear this show here, go to DisneyIndiana.com and hit their little subscribe button and they'll talk about it and you'll see what they think about the movie. So see. Yep. It all ties together. It's all perfectly timed since you guys are bi-weekly that you get to listen to me and them. 
As they say on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected. And if you go on NeverlandPodcast.com and you click on the little thing underneath my header that says FOTM, which stands for Friends of the Magic, there's a little link there to go to my Kickstarter. You can send me to Friends of the Magic where they're going to be as well. And then I'll have probably recordings of one interacting with them in the parks because it's all connected. That's all connected. And we've, and, um, we're going, uh, to, to Friends of the Magic and, and we want you to come with us. Yes, I want to be able to go too. <laughs> and I'm going to make a DVD. Because I want to be able to share all the audio. I want to be able to share the, the video for all the people who listen to my show who maybe don't get the opportunity to go because I – heck, on my own. I'm not going to make it on my own. That's why I have the Kickstarter. So if I can get enough people to pool together to get me there, I will share everything I possibly can with my, my listeners and anyone who wants that DVD. And you will it will be like you're there when you weren't. So, <laughs> but we got to get me there. So – that's that's kind of I don't have a sponsor really right now other than on my website I got a Roku thing so I'm sponsoring myself through my own Kickstarter so so make sure even on your show mention the NeverlandPodcast.com and click on the F O T M at the top of the screen and it will bring up a, a page that has a link to my Kickstarter and you can support sending me there and I promise you I will make as good a DVD as I possibly can. There's also a really cool T-shirt. That has kind of a modification on my logo. That's kind of fun. If you're into He-Man and geeky stuff, you'll you'll dig it. So there's a really cool T-shirt, and I'm even put up there. I've got a 2009 trip to Walt Disney World that'll offer that DVD as well. Beat everything we just had said. We're like, well, thanks for coming on to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. We enjoyed having a chance to stretch a bit beyond our Disney boundaries. And talk about villains, which is always a lot of fun. Of course. And you are welcome to come here and stretch your your non-Disney legs anytime you want to, because that's what we do. Okay, once again, another bit of a long show, but I really hope you enjoyed that. I I had a lot of fun talking to them, and it's kind of fun to enjoy our our favorite villains. But uh, I'm just going to take the moment now to remind you to keep your pixie in your pocket at all times. So anytime you need to, just reach in there, sprinkle around a little of that pixie dust on yourself, on your friends. Share the love, share the joy. Just try to have a good attitude about things, because everybody's fighting their own battles, and I'm sure you're fighting yours. But, you know, if you keep the right attitude about it, you can win that battle in at least some fashion, even even if things don't go the way you really wanted them to, you can get through it. And just keep the right attitude. But I will see you again next week. And uh, until then, God bless. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.